if you go out right. and like sleep under the stars for like several nights in a row, you're just like not distracted by information that people are feeding you. It just clears the brain and brings you back to center. That's really sacred to me. I think the outdoors is for everybody. It's for everybody to experience. There's something about putting up your tent outside, sleeping under the stars and seeing bright stars. You know, maybe for the first time ever in your life. And taking that breath of air, hot, cold, whatever. This is for everybody. To be as human as humanly possible under the big sky. Everybody deserves it. Welcome to the open air. This is Jesse Raisler, and you're listening to Open Air Humans, stories of how people have found a happier, healthier, more human life outdoors. Nearly one year ago to the day, on March 6, 2021, Emily Ford made history as the first woman and person of color to through-hike the 1,200-mile Ice Age Trail in Wisconsin in the dead of winter, sleeping out in temperatures as low as negative 35 for 69 days as she made her way across the state. Emily set out on this journey with a borrowed sled dog named Diggins to challenge herself, but also to offer representation to inspire more people of color to spend time in wild places to which they may not have had easy access or historically have been made to feel unwelcoming. A film about Emily's adventure called Breaking Trail is playing the festival circuit and can currently be streamed via several festival screening platforms. Full disclosure about our connection to that film, we made it. Emily's become a good friend, and in this discussion we get into what happens in your mind when you keep putting one foot in front of another for miles on end, why winter is the most underappreciated season, including the benefits of cold plunging, and how you can help Emily introduce more young people to the wilderness for the very first time. Also on the show today, our very first submission to what we call Open Air Diaries. So stick around to the very end for that. So something, you know, we've talked about a fair amount, but only had like a little tiny time to explore in the film um, is this idea of like what happens to you when, to quote you, go out and sleep under the stars for several nights in a row and aren't distracted by information people are feeding you. When you first said that, it reminded me of something your partner Flo said when I first met her about uh, the phenomenon called doom scrolling and what happens to us. Um, you know, you're on your phone, it's easy to get sucked into like reading the myriad of ways that the world is doomed and we're all screwed and everyone who has even a slightly different opinion is your enemy. Mm-hmm. Like you're not probably using it as social media as much as maybe the, the typical person, but do you feel like there's something to be said about when you do unplug and going outside, like what happens when you do allow yourself to turn away from that constant barrage of information? I think it's really scary for people because we go back to realizing we have thoughts of our own origin. 
And then there's a point where, you know, it's possible for your brain to actually get really quiet. And then I can notice what's happening around me. There was like this point in my trip where I really started noticing where mice had been. <laughs> and it was like this weird thing of realizing that like mice really have highways on the snow. <laughs> I had no idea they had like these freeways where a whole bunch of them run back and forth from tree to tree doing, I don't know what, you know. And I think it was that day I was like, dang, like I've been missing out on these mice life like for so like 29 years. And this is just how it's been. And so you notice these weird things, but which are so beautiful. You kind of get this, you know, this slowed down, maybe micro or macroscopic view of kind of just what you're doing in the moment, you know? Well, it's absolutely like, I think a form of meditation and, you know, you being out there as long as you were on this, on this ice age trail journey. Um, I also remember discussing with you, like after a certain amount of time you go, you, you go inward pretty quickly, but you go to some places maybe you haven't visited in a long time and you work on stuff that has been sitting there about yourself, about maybe forgiving yourself for something you've done or forgiving somebody else. I'm hoping you could talk about like what you experienced in terms of that if there was like healing that happened by virtue of spending that much time yeah. out there. Yeah. So many, so many things. There's like a specific topic, right, of my dad that comes to mind. My dad kind of exited our family when I was five. And so I've, you know, lived 24 years pretty much without a you know, dad in my life, right? And this has kind of just been a recurring wound that's just been kind of reopened over and over again as it goes with parents who are addicts. And um, just like I'd be walking and walking and it's like, it would like just hit me. And nothing, when I said it would just hit me, there's nothing specific. There'd be like, I don't know, a thought of my dad or like a thought of like my past or like a thought of, you know, something else that would pop up. I always like to say that, especially, especially when you're a solo hiker, right? You, you're your own, you're the only thing out there to deal with yourself. You realize parts of yourself that you hate, you realize parts of yourself that you love, but also at the end of the day, it's up to you if you're still gonna deal with it. I'm still very good at distracting myself even without technology, right? But you know, when there's so much space in the brain and there's just repetition and like this mindfulness, I think like maybe more so I'm, I have the desire to actually tackle those things. Like I like get worn down by my own thoughts to be like, okay, like we need to walk through this. And I walked through a lot of forgiveness actually on that trip. I went through so many people, like I went through so many people in my mind that I, I knew like within the deepest part of my heart, I had to forgive. I would just like walk, I would like take pretty much like a person a day when like somebody would come up and just like sit with them for the whole day and think about our friendship or our relationship and just like work through and kind of like oddly relive like what happened and like try to see it from their perspective of what happened also. And it was really helpful. So you're, I mean, you're clearly coming back more at peace and I imagine your day to day, you're just carrying less of that around with you. I mean, it's interesting, you know, there's a lot of people trying to quantify like what time outside can do, not just for your physical, but your mental health. And it's, I think it's a lot of these different things that we haven't really quantified, but 
when you're out there and you experience this, you're like, oh, wow, I am refreshed. It's almost like a, a snake shedding its skin. I never really plan on it happening. And the less I plan on these like refreshing and meditative moments happening, the, the better the outcome for myself. Uh, I'm not trying to control every situation. Right. As I go along, I'm kind of just letting nature like take it off for me, take that skin off for me. Well, and that's, that's the, the magic of it, right? Is like, you don't have to be super intentional about anything specific. You just go out and let things unfold. Yes. There's no, I will get, you know, because I, you know, when we're talking about like science and the uh, quantitative and data and I love, you know, as a scientist, I love science, obviously, but there's a part, there's a part to this where I don't want to quantify it too much and just yeah. tell people just to go try it. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's like the magic and mystery of it kind of too. Yeah. It's like, you don't want to over-science it because that would take away the beauty. It's like, you just have an experience. And then later you might realize like, oh, that was doing more for me than I even realized. Yeah. And it might be, a, it might be a while before you even realize how much it did for you. Yes. I've noticed that too. Like sometimes a year later, I'll, I'll think back and go like, oh, wow, that was working at a different level yep. than I even realized. Yes. Well, speaking of just getting out there and doing it, I want to talk about getting out there and doing anything in winter, which I know you did your trip in, in winter for, you know, first and foremost, there's this logistical thing. You're a gardener nine months out of the year and you have time off in winter, so you could do this hike. But also, I know you also have a deep love for this season that <laughs> yeah, a lot of people don't love yeah. so much. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. But um, I'd love to hear like, you know, when you fell in love with, with winter and how you've learned to, you know, be able to enjoy it so much when a lot of people just are like, oh, I don't know, I don't really go out. Uh, I think it's a collective of really good memories all mm. kind of bundled together. The more I've like chewed on it, um, just more and more memories come to surface. It's like one of them, you know, of course, is my grandparents' farm and spending time out at their place. And, and you know, wandering around these huge snowdrifts with my grandpa's homemade snowshoes, you know, and just listening to the trees, you know, being whipped by the wind, you know, and just like that whistle that happens in between, you know, pine needles, and just spending, you know, ample time out there, and and um, and, and loving that, and you know, same with my like my mom would like bundle us up and like kick us outside, you know, and, like force us to like spend time outside. We loved it. My sister and I both loved it. And, you know, we would spend time, you know, building snow people in our yard and, you know, disrupting the beautifully, you know, shoveled driveway my mom, you know, just so lovingly, you know, is trying to keep clean for us. And, um, but then I have memories of like being so cold, like ferociously cold. My grandpa would take me out ice fishing and, uh, like early in the morning and like, imagine that I'm like nine years old, right? And it's before the sun rises, but you know, it's in the winter that could be anywhere between, you know, four and four and seven a.m. where they lived. It'd be cold getting stuff together. We would pull the little ice shack out to the lake and use with the four-wheeler and all this stuff, and we'd just sit on the ice. And my toes would be cold. Because I'd, I didn't understand back then that I sweat so much, but my toes would be freezing. My toes and my fingers would be freezing, but like when we got a fish, like none of that mattered. And it was like the most like awesome, like I would take off my gloves, even though that's stupid and handle the fish and like, we'd be so proud, you know? Yeah. And even though it's like a painful moment, I don't know, like it's just in the collective memory of like, man, it's so, it's so awesome, you know? I don't know. And nobody ever told me to not like winter. 
It's like a lot of, you know, like a lot of kids grow up not liking spiders for some reason, but because their parents don't like spiders. But if you just let a kid watch spiders, they'd probably really think spiders are cool. Yep. <laughs> you yep. know what I mean? Yep. Like nobody told me that winter was bad. In short, what I, what I learned is that there's beautiful quietness and sound and solitude. There was beautiful family time that I got to have and wild creatures I got to see. And on top of that, winter and snow, too cold or too much snow could cancel a school day, <laughs> which I didn't really love school that much. So I was like, yes. Because it all wins here. It was like yeah. a win-win, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I've, I'm kind of the same. Like I, I was never told not to enjoy winter. Like I grew up in the country and my dad would plow the driveway and I'd make this huge mound and we'd carve out these tunnels and he had a snowmobile. So we'd hook up like our snowboard behind the snowmobile and like hit the hay bales as jumps and like yeah. just play. Yeah. Um, but I think, I don't know, as I got older, it was like, okay, there's these other pursuits and like I would still snowboard once in a while, but I wouldn't get outside in winter as much as I once had. I don't know that I, I, I missed it, but then honestly, making Breaking Trail with you like brought me back to it in a lot of ways. And you taught me so much about gear yeah. and like things like your three sock system and yes. these things that you can do um, to feel more comfortable yeah. when it's like bitterly cold. Yeah. Um, how did you learn some of that stuff? And like, what are a few of the, the, the things that you keep going back to as like tips when people are like, how can I get outside in winter and enjoy it more. Like, what do you, what do you go back to? Oh, I like just learn the hard way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trial and error works. One of my first camp, winter camping experiences was with a really good friend of mine at the time, Matt, and he was such a deer. And uh, we skied out, threw up our little hot tent. And I, I didn't understand that a 30 degree bag was not a winter bag, um, but I brought it anyway. And like a blanket and it was cold. It was really cold, really, really cold. <laughs> I don't think I slept at all. I just shivered with my dog, my other dog all night long. Um, so that's kind of how I learned. You know, um, when Merino wool came out, I think that was the biggest game changer. Nobody really likes to wear wool wool. It is so itchy, like, but Merino wool was the biggest game changer because you could have non-itchy socks and underwear that kept you dry. Yeah. Um, that's my battle too. It's moisture. Yes. I sweat. So oh the battle is moisture. Goodness. That's what people don't realize. I didn't realize that either. It's yes. like, you're not battling the cold. You're battling your own moisture. Yes. It's you. You're the problem. Yeah. <laughs> look in the mirror. Look in the mirror every morning. <laughs> don't look outside of the snow. You look at yourself. That's right. It's you. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of people uh, bundle too much. It's kind of a thing. And I get it because the cold is scary. Mm -hmm. You know, it'll, it, it, if, if done wrong, it will put you to sleep and all of a sudden you won't wake up. You know, like that's kind of the reality of hypothermia. <laughs> Just get the worst case scenario. Out of the yeah. Way. Hypothermia yeah. is that you, you start to get sleepy and loopy and, and you just sleep, you know, um, but it doesn't have to be that way. <laughs> otherwise, it gets better, I promise. What's interesting to me too is like, I feel like it's almost a little bit of a, a catch 22 between like having the right gear and then having the mindset to go out there. Because once I had, I was like, I am going to do this right. I'm going to, I'm going to be committed and, and do this film and not get frostbite. So I like invested in some great gear. And after a while, I felt my mindset changing because it was more comfortable mm -hmm being in those extremes for longer periods of time. So it's, it's tricky because it's like, some people say like, oh, you just got to change your mindset and embrace winter. Well, it's, mm, that's part of it. Yeah, it's, it's a chicken and the egg system. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But anyway, because of that, like my mindset started changing to the point that I was getting really interested in cold and like 
you know, loving it and craving it and started reading about um, Wim Hof does teaches about breathing and cold exposure. And I was just learning about that when we were going to, to Banff and you were instrumental in me taking the next step and getting into an icy river on a mountain next to some hot springs. Yeah. And Wim Hof talks about like, once you change, you do something like that, yeah. you change your mindset about what's going to happen to you when you do that. That's he right. also talks about like, as humans, we've been in only in 70 degrees everywhere now. And that wasn't the case no. for millennia. Yeah. Like this is new that we become these cr comfort creatures, right? And what happens when you go back to, you know, how humans were living and when you do experience that, how it changes your mindset and changes your physicality and all of it. But all that is to say, like, after, you know, getting in that river with you the first time, I was like, oh God, what's happening to me? Why am I doing this? Like everything in your mind is like, are you crazy? What are you yes. doing? <laughs> Get and out. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't know. I made it like, I was in there like 20 seconds or something. And we went back in the hot spring and then I'm like, oh, I want to get back in That's the right. cold, man. <laughs> That's right. Why do I want to get back <laughs> in right. the cold? And it's something happens. It's crazy. I, you can't quite explain it. But ever since then, I've craved it. And since then, we've both been cutting holes in the ice yes. to go <laughs> swimming in the water. What yeah. does what has that done for you? Like, we haven't really talked about that. Every time I go over the hill coming back into Duluth, I just like see Lake Superior. And I'm like, if I just take a, like a little day tour, I could just like hop in the lake real quick and hop out and drive home. <laughs> it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> But yeah, I had the luxury this winter working at Wintergreen uh, that we had a sauna and we had access to cutting holes in the ice. Mm -hmm. And um, out there it's so dark, which is really nice. So I would, you know, have my headlamp or my camp, my phone light on so I could get there and then do breathing partially on the way down. It's very difficult to do breathing down this crazy hill and just do a few bits of breathing while I was out there not to lose my heat and then, you know, sink in and then shut off my light. And um, it, it's like, I don't know, it's, it's crazy because it hurts for a little bit, just for a little bit. And then all of a sudden you realize you're not in danger, you know? Yeah. And it's even cooler because on that lake, it's so cold up there. I think it was like negative 20 air temp. And uh, I was going in the, in the water, which feels warmer because it's 32. <laughs> Um, yeah. But the ice, I was, my, my elbows were on the board on the ice and the ice popped. I felt like, like the pop went like right to my body. And it was like this crazy thing of like feeling like you're a part of the lake. But I don't know, it teaches, it does teach your brain and your fight or flight. It re recalculates your fight or flight almost Yeah. of like, what is actually danger? Yeah. Would, you know, what am I in control of? What am I not in control of? Mm -hmm. it, it, you know, it kind of slows you down a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the Scandinavians talk about the concept of Sisu. It's like, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And doing this, you're like, oh, I can do other hard things. Yes. Probably too, that oh, I didn't yes. know that I couldn't do. Not to mention like the, the physical, I don't know if you've felt this. When I've stayed and like you said, it hurts at first. After a minute or two, you kind of settle in mm -hmm. and then you're at like minute five, minute 10. And you come out, the blood rushes, you know, to everything, everywhere that it was cold. And you get this like rush of oxygen. Yeah. I was like, I'm ready to run a marathon. Yeah. Like, right? I've never said that or felt that. <laughs> <laughs> like, I could do that right now. And that's yeah. the cold that gave me that gift. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, you know, I want to also talk about how these adventures you're doing in the cold. And there's one coming up that we'll talk about too. People see you, and I know this isn't your intent, like at all from the beginning, um, 
that people see you doing these things and are like, oh, wow, this is, this is really cool what's happening. You know, maybe I should spend, spend some time outside. Not everyone's going to hike 1,200 miles, but, um, you know, especially young people, people of color who haven't had the same access or haven't felt welcome are saying, you know, thank you, Emily. This is really cool to see. I, I want to get out there. Um, and I know part of the trip that's coming up in the Boundary Waters, a big part of that is to raise money to help people get access to a place like the Boundary Waters that haven't had access. So I'm hoping you can just, first of all, tell us what's up, where are you going this, uh, this winter, and then how can people follow along and help other people get access to that place sort of as part of your trip. For sure. So I'm leaving on February 11th, 2022. Um, and Diggins and I are going to schedule the Boundary Waters Canoe Wilderness Area, which if you don't know that is, I, I need to look up how many acres it is, but it's like millions of acres or something. It's like a crazy amount of acreage of protected lands. Yeah. Um, and even more protected now, which is awesome. Um, so this beautiful wild space. Um, I only have a little bit of like I only dabbled in a little bit. A lot of people canoe there. Um, so, you know, good handful people spend time out there in the winter. We're gonna schedule across from Crane Lake uh, to Grand Portage uh, at Lake Superior. Totaling around, if I stay on track <laughs> without getting too lost, 210 miles or so. Looking at a little over a month. So people that don't know schedule and give right. us the basics there because <laughs> right. it's such a cool thing right. and yeah. Yeah. For anybody who has dogs out there that like to pull. Um, you don't even have to be very good at skiing, but Diggins is, is a, as a sled dog is where she came from and, uh, she loves to pull. So I put a harness on her that attaches around my waist. I'm on skis. Um, and so she'll pull me along. Well, quote unquote, pull me along. She's like, you're pulling me along. Speaking up from the floor. <laughs> um, and you see a lot of people skate skiing this way. You can go really fast. You can go as slow as you want. But I like it because it's a really significant way to connect with your dog. It's kind of like the best way to connect with your dog. Um, kind of in the winter time, I like for for us, for the two of us in your way. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's Kajorim. Um, another term people may, may not know is Polk. Polk is really just a glorified name for a sled. That'll be behind me. So the order will go Diggins in front of me. And me in front of the Polk, pulling the Polk, which will also be attached to my waist. And then, yeah, we're partnering with Friends of the Boundary Waters, which is super cool to me that they wanted to do this together. And especially now that uh, the Twin Metals thing is kind of settling down and there's you know more legality with that, they get to focus on their other programs. And one of their other programs is Friend, Friends of the Boundary Waters uh, is uh, their No Boundaries program. And it's part of their education program where they go into, into classrooms, talk about the Brown Riders, and then they, you know, sign people up for these trips and bring them paddling in the Boundary Waters, mm. which I think about often that one of the, the only time I've ever paddled on liquid, you know, been on liquid water in the Boundary Waters was when my childhood best friend, you know, her family decided to let me come along on their, you know, their family vacation pretty much. And... I mean, that, it definitely compiled onto the reasons why I love the outdoors, you know, mm. and to be able to give, you know, kids that may not have that option, an option. Yeah. Like, I'm totally into that. 
So they do that. Um, and so like how, what's the logistics of that? If someone wanted to support that through your hike, what would, what would yeah. they do? So you can follow me on Instagram at Emily on trail. You can find my business Venmo account at Emily on trail as well. Um, and you can donate there, which would be super cool. All of that, um, at the end of my trip will go to friends of the boundary waters. Um, and that will go towards providing funds for their trips. Well, that is, that is awesome. And in, in talking about like just making the outdoors more accessible, you can go hiking with, you know, anything you can get at the thrift store, like you said, the sweatpants, you know, whatever it is. Is there a favorite piece of like hiking clothing or gear that you've come upon that you're like, oh, this, if you're just going to get a couple things, what are the things that you're like, oh yeah, go get this, go get this. Um, my top five, cause I don't really have favorites yeah. in life. Um, <clears throat> have shoes that you're comfortable in blisters really take people out. I'm not going to lie. Your shoes can be the thing that kind of makes you or breaks you. Um, so good shoes, clothes that you can, this is kind of a blanketed thing, but like clothes that you can, that you're comfortable in. And that took me a little while to get to right again. This is one of those things that like clothing, outdoor clothing has really come a long way to be yeah. way more, uh, body friendly. Yeah. Like you get the performance aspects with the comfort. Whereas yes. before it was kind of like, you can choose one of these two oh, things. My goodness. <laughs> yes. Um, it does not matter what it is, but something to carry water in always a water vessel. Mm -hmm. I don't care if it's a glass jar and it's super heavy, even if it's just like a plastic full of BPA Gatorade bottle from the gas station. Like I don't care. Bring water with you every single time. Other than that, you're kind of sad on this list shoes and water <laughs> i'd say well and since we talked about winter and you mentioned merino wool being a game changer any other like winter tips i'm thinking about specifically about a hack you told me about involving uh bread like sliced bread bags oh yeah is there anything like that and that one would be great too yeah so there's the whole vapor barrier concept of if you're going to sleep out um overnight and your boots will be out in the cold if you wear a sock, a thin sock, and then put over that like a bread bag or like a long bag, they sell vapor barriers. And then you can put a sock on top of that too, and then stick that inside your boot. Um, that will keep your liner of your boot from getting wet from your sweat that you don't know that you're sweating out. Yeah. Um, that one's really good. Um, a good water trick in the winter time, especially if you're gonna sleep outside, um, is to Nalgene is a really great company cause they make uh, bottles that you can put boiling water in, fill those bad boys up with boiling water, shove them inside your sleeping bag. Um, and you're, it's like preheating your bag. I don't know. It's like the preheat set, setting for your sleeping <laughs> bag. Pretty rad. But those are, those are some of the two things that I've really loved. Awesome. And then in terms of the, the flip side, like of the physical, the mindset, is there a book or a film or something that's inspiring you or that you keep coming back to because it did inspire you? Um, one of the first ones I did read when I got back was about Matthew Henson, first African-American black dude and possibly the first person to the North Pole. Mm. You know, his whole thing was uh, he just wanted to learn everything just to be useful. And, you know, I, I resonate with that so deeply of like, I want to be a good Arctic explorer someday like an Arctic adventurer, but that doesn't mean like I need to like 
know only Arctic things. The more you know, and the more you can grab from the world around you will make you way more useful in kind of these, you know, on these expeditions. Um, the second one I read, cause I've only read, I guess when I think about it, two of them. So him and, and Anne, of course, Anne Bancroft, um, you know, and her and leave, they, they both speak to the part of me that realizes how thankful I should be for people who've come before me. You know, in, in, in their book, they talk about, um, just not getting anybody to believe them that they wanted to do this because they're two women, mm. you know, and wow. uh, I don't have, I, I mean, people don't really believe that I can't do it now. They're just like, why would you do it is mostly the question now. <laughs> and so I have people like, you know, Matthew for, for, you know, paving the way for, you know, black folks to do things. And then people like, you know, Anne and leave who paved the way for women to be able to do these things. You know, yeah. they're trying to, you know, scoot their way across Antarctica and nobody's, and people are like, eh, probably won't be able to do that. You know, and they're like, watch us do this, you know, <laughs> and like just, you know, kite ski across, you know, <laughs> the freaking glacier, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And so Matthew's book is Negro at the North Pole mm. and Anne's book is No Horizon is So Far. And they're both great. They're both great books. Awesome. Before we wrap up, like anything else for people who are like, we love spending time outside. We would love to get more people to spend time outside. Obviously, with with the Boundary Waters Partnership, there's an opportunity to send people who have never had that experience to do it. What are other ways that we can all work to make sure everybody gets access to these beautiful wild places we have? So going back to Anne and Leaf, so Anne had this um, drive and desire that's still so deeply ingrained within her as a teacher mm. um, is to like show school kids that anything is possible. Yeah. Right. Um, she talks about in her book. So satellite phones are kind of a bear, right? And down in Antarctica back when she was, you know, down there, they had to put up this extremely tall antenna in like ripping winds, right? Just to get a signal out for the sat phone. And it may or may not work. Right. You know, but she was determined to talk to these school kids from all around the world. And I think she she's not missing anything. That's not an old school way of thinking. That's not you know old knowledge. I think it's practical and relevant today. That if you're getting your kids out, if you're getting your like, if you can show your school kids like that that age, like primary school age, like that's where you know like people talk about the two degrees of like change or separation in your life, right? You know, if you start that two degrees when they're that young, by the time they're they're my age and and beyond you know, that it could be a life-changing ordeal for them. So if you're a teacher or if, you know, you're a parent or whatever, you know, get your kids outside. And the other thing is, for me, what was the biggest deal is that I grew up with a single parent. My mom, I mean, is awesome. She had very little lacking for what I needed as a kid and she got me outside as much as possible. But I happened to have these really cool friends you know, that brought me to places like the Boundary Waters and like brought me out into the woods. My grandparents did the same thing, so like, if you're a parent that's privileged and your kid has, you know, friends that are, don't have the exact same privileges, you like, just bring them along with you. Like you'll, you'll never like, maybe they won't like it, whatever, but at least you tried, you know, and you have, you, you already have the privilege there. You, you can create that bridge for them. You know, that they don't have to build it themselves. And there may be nothing better than like bringing a young person to a beautiful grand place and just blowing their mind and like watching them see it for the first time. I've had some of my peak awe experiences 
out in nature and like to introduce someone to that is like so gratifying. And you don't have to do much, right? Yeah. It's not like you have to build anything for them. Like you just maybe hike in somewhere, right. but like you're going to do it anyway, you know, just bring someone along with you. To keep up with Emily and her latest adventure in the Boundary Waters, which she'll be finishing this Saturday, March 12th, follow her on Instagram at Emily on Trail. To see where you can watch the film about her, Breaking Trail, visit credononfiction.com slash breaking dash trail. And we'd love to see and hear from you. As part of Open Air Humans, we're collecting something we call Open Air Diaries. We'd love a simple story from you about a moment you were out in nature and became awestruck. Tell us about a time you experienced something that made you feel a deeper or more profound connection to the world around you. If you'd be so kind to record that story on your phone is great and email that audio file to openairhumans at gmail.com. Today's open air diary entry, our very first, is from Becky in Minneapolis about her experience seeing a great lake for the very first time. My name is Becky and this is my story. I was about 10 and I was riding in a car to Lake Michigan and I was really excited. My eyes were glued to the window the entire drive. And I remember the sense of anticipation, but also as we got closer and closer, I had this new feeling in my body of uh, like bigness, uh, this expansive feeling in my chest. And I remembered in that moment really thinking that I, the lake was there, like it was just on the other side of those trees that I could feel it, that I was coming home in some way. And um, sure enough, not long after that, I got my first glimpse of this giant lake and it was doing just what I felt in my body. It was really expansive and it was shifting and um, moving and full. And I felt really overcome by the connection between what I was seeing and what I was feeling. And now I know, I didn't know at the time, but now I feel like that was really my first experience, really noticing a deep connection with a natural element and this possibility that there could be me in nature and nature in me. It's a really powerful moment in my childhood. Thanks for spending your time with us and sharing your life with us out here in the open air.